what you've done and what you continue to do. Father, we're going to hear some amazing stories tonight, but they're only amazing because you're at the center of them. Father God, I'm expectant for this evening. Thank you for being in this place amongst us. Father God, we lift your name. We lift the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Good evening. If you'd like to take your seats. Just want to welcome you all again to this evening. We've got an amazing night set for you. I think it's going to be amazing anyway, and I'm saying that in faith and expectancy. We've got some amazing guys here, the guys from the Victory Outreach. And it's been my pleasure to get to know them over the last six weeks or so. I've been going into the house. We've shared stories. We've just got to know each other. And, you know, the guys, their heart for God, their, 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 their desire um, is just incredible. And it really has been a privilege to get to know you. So just want to thank you for, for coming this evening. The house is in Lye, so it's just up the road, not too far, really. Um, we've got another special guest here tonight, and that's the director of Victory Outreach, Mr. Richard Taylor. He's going to come and, and share some words in a moment. Um, I think I'm only here tonight just to translate. Being a little bit Welsh myself, if he gets too passionate, I'll try and uh, come up and say things. I wasn't allowed to mention the rugby either, but... I just did. So, no, no. no, we just want to welcome Richard. You know, it's St. David's Day today in, as well in Wales. So we just want to say, Richard, Diolchan Val for coming today. Thank you very much. <laughs> so Richard, if you want to come. Richard, if you'd like to come. This is your cue. God bless you. Thank you. Shut up and sit down. Now, Vin Shara Kamrai, I'm a proper Welshman. He's not proper Welsh, right? He's from Mid-Wales, right? That's for the, the exiles. And I'm um, wearing my daffodil today. But this isn't for St. David's. This is for cancer research. That's what this is for, because I support. It's a great cause. If you don't support a cause like that, you should consider it. Anyway, my name's... Uh, thank for, thanks for calling me Mr. Richard Taylor. It's not, very, not very often I get called Mr. That's fantastic, unless someone wants money off me. That's brilliant, that is. But uh, it's great to be here tonight, and... Um, because I'm from Wales, which is a lovely place to come from, a lovely place to leave, and, and I walked in his church tonight, and I must be honest with you, I thought, what a posh church, look at these chairs, you've got soft padded chairs, you've got more televisions than Comet, I was in awe, I was standing there like this, and people were thinking, oh, he's really lost in worship, no, I was in awe of all these televisions. And how, if I wasn't a Christian, I would have burgled this place a long time ago. <laughs> I was just in awe. But uh, seriously, Pastor Leon is a friend of mine personally, and it's been a, a privilege to know him. And I want to thank him for the opportunity to come and uh, share with you uh, tonight a little bit about our work. But then I'm going to share something from God's Word with you later and uh, bring some ministry to you, if that's okay. I, I, as uh, has been mentioned, I'm the director of Victor Outreach, which is a, a ministry that works mainly with drug addicts and ex-offenders, um, like this gentleman here, he's on another planet. <laughs> he's still in recovery. And um, <laughs> and we work with people from very broken backgrounds, very challenging backgrounds. In fact, a women's home, which is in a town called Tradiga, uh, I'll tell you this one testimony, then I'll introduce some guys to give their stories tonight of how Christ has transformed them. Our Trudiga home is run by a lady called Trudy. Trudy, uh, many years ago, was a prostitute working on the streets of Bristol. 
She was a crack and heroin addict. She was injecting drugs every day into her vein. In fact, her veins had collapsed in her body. The only vein she could find was in her foot. And she was skin and bones. And um, she was size six. She was, she was in weight, even six stone. And she was in a mess. Some Catholic nuns phoned us up one, one afternoon and said, we've got a young lady, can you help her? And they brought her to our home and we just loved her. We just showed her the, the love of Christ. Uh, we have a, a real, I think it's a theology really, where we want people to belong before they believe. I think if the church did a bit more of that, it might get more converts, just a thought. But get people to belong before they believe, not tell them they have to believe what we believe, wear what we wear, then they can belong. It's the wrong way around, really. So Trudy came to us and um, we just loved her, embraced her, and, and shared Christ's love with her. She made a decision to give her life to Christ, uh, and instantaneously something happened. Uh, you know, I still believe in the old-fashioned gospel because it still works. The gospel is still the power of God and the salvation, right? You can't entertain people into the kingdom. Trust me, they won't stay, right? It doesn't work like that, okay? And, and, and that moment, she, she surrendered and bent her will to the will of Christ. A spark came in her eye. She came alive. Before, there was nothing. It, 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 there was a veil over her eyes. Her eyes lit up. There was a spark. She came alive. And from that moment on, she began to put weight on. She progressed. We managed to get into the dentist to get her own teeth put back in. Because heroin addicts don't have their own teeth. And, uh, and today she is a beautiful young Christian lady. And she is running the women's home in Tredega. That is the transformational power of the grace of Jesus Christ, isn't it? Just phenomenal. And, and so what I'm going to do, and I'm going to ask Simon to come and join me on the platform. Welcome him as he comes. He doesn't get much welcome. This is, uh, oh my God. Um, the, the most commonly known as Ridian. <laughs> Albeit he's put a bit of weight on, but he's... But Simon is from, uh, from Wales as well, and I don't really need to interview Simon because he's, uh, he's seasoned now at giving his story. So Simon, just tell the folks a little bit about your background, where you've come from, and what God's grace has done in your life. Um, right. uh, basically, I was a rebellious teenager, went through the foster care system. Um, when coming out of foster care, I started to build a relationship with my father and the rest of my family, and uh, I still, I, I went back and started mucking around with my old friends again, and uh, started doing silly things, ended up going to, uh, ending, doing a couple of spells in Cardiff prison, and uh, it was a week before I was, on my, I was on my last sentence four years ago this month, I was serving my last week of my spell in Cardiff prison, and I had a phone call, and uh, it was my grandmother phoning me to tell me that my grandfather had passed away, and uh, I come out to prison the next week. I went to my grandfather's funeral. My father was dying of lung and throat cancer at the time. And six weeks later, my father passed away. And from that moment onwards, my life started spiraling badly downhill. Simon, can you just, just on that, because there might be people who are going through a similar experience. So you, you, you lost your, your grandfather and, and your father in the space of six, ha- weeks. six weeks. What was that moment like for you, getting that news? What, what, was, what was going on in your mind? I was... I, 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 I had a lot of self-blame because I'd I, I done a lot of bad things to my family. I, I, I was, I, I wasn't a very good teenager, like I said. I, I, got, put in, I, I got put into foster care for arguing with my family a lot. And I, I, I just, I started 
convicted myself because I thought I could have been a better son. So you blamed yourself. I, I, had, I had a lot of self-blame. How do you deal with that guilt and, and, and that blame? I, I, I went turned into drugs. I, I turned to drugs and alcohol. I started using amphetamine heavily, LSD, and I, t- I turned into a heavy alcoholic. And uh, I, I was going daily down the pub, meeting a bunch of drinkers, getting heavily drunk, off my face on amphetamine, off my face on LSD. And eventually I go back to my mother's house and it'd be two, three o'clock in the morning. My mother and my younger sister would be there. And I was that drunk and I was that drugged up. I'd just go and smash my mother's house up with them in there. And it come to a point that my mother said, and these, I would never forget these words. I was only speaking to my mother the other day. The words she said to me is, Simon, as much as I love you as my son, I don't like the person that you are. I'm going to have to kick you out. And it's from that moment onwards, I spent seven months living in a multi-story car park. No, t- Simon, you, you, I know the multi-story car park you lived in, uh, in Ebbervale, in South Wales. And uh, I drive past it quite a bit, actually, go to work. And every time I drive past that car park, I remind myself that one of our treasures, one of our trophies of graces came from that multi-story car park. And you were there for some time through the winter, in the cold, sleeping rough, no home, nowhere to go. What kind of thoughts were running through your mind during those months you were in that car park? I, really, I, I just, I didn't have no feeling for myself. I, I just, I, I had lost all will to live myself. I, I, when I lost my father, my grandfather, I lost everything. My, because my mother, because of what I had done to my mother and my sister, they had turned their back on me. The only person that really turned my back on me was my grandmother. I had that much respect for my grandmother. I wouldn't go to her house drug, drugged up or drunk. So I, I, just, I, just, I just carried on living day by day for the drugs, really. And, and this came to a, to a, a pivotal moment, didn't it? Because something happened. You ended up in hospital, didn't it? Yeah. Um, I, I was running a drug errand down to Stonehenge and uh, got left down in Stonehenge to walk on from Stonehenge back to South Wales. No, hang on and, a minute, uh, hang on a minute. You walked from Stonehenge <laughs> to Ebbuville. For those of you who are into geography, and I'm an expert in geography, to be honest with you, I know this is the black country around you, yam yams and all that, right? So, but, but, so, so you walk from Stonehenge to Ebbuville, that is right. a serious walk. You must have been on LSD at the time, Simon. Or? I was full up of amphetamine for eight days, walking constantly for eight days. I ended up going back to my drug dealer's house. My drug dealer said, Simon, I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry for leaving you down there in Stonehenge. She's, you're all the amphetamine you want. You're all the LSD you want. There's a fridge full of alcohol. Do all you want with it. And I was through exhaustion, too much amphetamine, too much LSD, and too much drink. I ended up overdosing and putting myself in a coma for four days. Now, while you were in hospital in that coma, um, what you, you haven't mentioned yet is your grandmother was a praying Christian. And, and just tell us how she played an integral part in, in your recovery. When I was coming around from a coma, and this, if you're not Christian here, this is not coincidence. My first memory from coming around from our coma is my grandmother at my bedside praying for me. And three of the four days I was in that coma that she knew about, she was at my bedside 24-7 praying for me. And I, I, I can tell you, I'm a, I'm a testament to your people, this power in prayer. I, I don't care if any atheists out there, anybody who don't believe in prayer, this power in prayer, because I wouldn't be standing here today if we weren't. And uh, my nan came in, I was due to get discharged from the hospital. I was in for about two and a half, three weeks. And on the day I was due to get discharged, I thought my nan was going to take me back to the car park because it wasn't financially viable for, her to come, for me to go and live with her. So she came in and she said, Simon, 
my uncle's a minister, a Baptist minister. He said, your uncle Tyree, you found a place to go called Victory Outreach. And I was a bit fearful at first because I thought she was going to make me go and live with some Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Shh, we haven't told him anything yet. <laughs> but, uh, I, I went to the, uh, what is the main headquarters of, uh, of Victory Outreach, the Bush Hotel. But when I went into the Bush Hotel, I just went in just in the flesh. I left my heart back out the street for the drink and the drugs. I, I didn't really want to be there. I walked through the door. I can remember walking into the small lounge, into well, what was the coffee bar. There was a big lounge where they have the, the afternoon meetings. And there was all these people, hallelujah, praise the Lord, waving their hands. I thought, well, I'm flaming out. I'm just coming off a drug myself. I don't, don't stick you under them. I mean, but, uh, so I was, I was there for about five weeks and my flesh kept on. T- was, the temptation was getting too much for me. And after five weeks, I ended up leaving. It's the night that day I left that have changed my life, not just for now, but for eternity. And I went back. I went back to Ebervale. I, I tricked there. I lied to everybody, telling them I had somewhere to go. I had a friend's house to stay at. I went back to my hometown, to Ebervale, and uh, ended up in the pouring down rain, spending the night underneath a tree next to the, put, next to the sorting office. And... Uh, I was lying there with this black bag full of stuff I had from Victory Outreach. And all these memories come flooding back to me of all, all the boys I had seen in Victory Outreach. All these boys that they've been freed by Christ. They, they had peace, they had joy, they had love in their life. All hardened criminals. And all these memories come and started flooding back. And for the first time since I lost, lost my grandfather, my father, I burst out into tears underneath our tree all on my own. And I just asked the Lord into my life. I said, Lord, I need you to do a work in me right now because I'm going to die otherwise. There's, there's, there's no hope for me. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm as good as dead. And for the, the Lord just spoke to me. He said, Simon, you need to get back to Victory Outreach. You, this is the only way I can help you is if we go to Victory Outreach, you need a relationship with me so I can save you. And I come back to Victory Outreach. I've been in Victory Outreach now 19 months. I, I'm a completely different person now. The, the Lord has restored everything to me. He restored my family. Mm. I, do you mind if I share a little bit about my epilepsy? Of course this you can. Of course you can. I'm a, I'm a, I suffer with frontal lobe epilepsy, which is a rare type of epilepsy that one in ten epileptics have. For Ever since I got diagnosed when I was 13, I was fitting six times every night for ten years. Uh, we know that because uh, we, had, we had to put Simon in a room with a guy because he'd fit really bad at night and uh, we'd have to have someone with him every single night. So we know that that's the case. Tell him the rest of the testimony because it's great what's happened now, isn't it? I went, uh, I was down in the Bush Hotel. I was staying, uh, got in contact with a doctor down there. Then got, got in contact with a specialist. And the specialist just happened to be the specialist who diagnosed me with the epilepsy 10 years before. And the specialist said to me when I went in, I had, I had Morris with me at that time. They said, Simon, there's a new drug that just came on the market. It's a specialist drug. Nobody in South Wales has tried this drug yet. And I found out since I've been up here, nobody in the West Midlands has taken this drug at the moment. Simon, if you're willing to try it, I'm willing to give it to you. And I thought, I could God on my side, I haven't got nothing to lose. I've tried, I, since I started taking this drug, I've been fit free now for seven months. Yeah. That's so great, isn't it? That's great. And he used to have black hair as well. Because the drugs have affected him. He's gone blonde now. That's right. And what's your desire and what's your passion now, Simon? I, I just want to live. I, 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 I hope my, my testimony goes out and touches people. I, Pastor Richard says, I, I, I'm a seasoned testimony, seasoned testimony uh, giver now. It's because I love giving my testimony. I, it, it excites me giving my share in this review. Believe it or not, 
is probably why I'm stuttering so much, because I'm, I'm excited. If, I, if one life gets touched by my testimony, I know God's going to do work in our life then. I, I just leave that to the Holy Spirit. Wonderful. That's great. Thank you, Simon. Show appreciation, shall we? Okay. Chris, come on up. Chris, he comes up. That's a nice jump you got on, Chris. Chris, now, tell us where you're from, Chris. Before I start, I'm just want to ask you, can you all understand me or am I going to need Pastor Richard to interpret it? No, just speak slow, Chris, right? Tell us a little bit about your, your background. Uh, my name's Chris and I'm from a small town in Scotland called Port Glasgow and uh, I was brought up in a single parent home due to the fact that my father was never there for us. My father loved a life of crime. He was forever in and out of prison. So my mum chose to leave my dad and I was brought up in a single parent home. My mum worked seven days a week to put food on the table for me and my sister. We never wanted for anything. But like my, my upbringing that was amazing. But when I, got, when I hit the age of 13, I used to go down and spend the weekends with my grandparents and my gran had no long died with a stroke and we went down every weekend to keep my grand a company and one Saturday night we were staying with him. We kept waking up during the night but that night he had been drinking so I, I think it was about three or, time, three or four times I was back up, back and forward helping him back to his room into the toilet and I put him back to bed and the, the next morning I woke up with my wee sister screaming, Chris, Chris. My grand is lying sleeping in the toilet floor. I'm only 13 at the time, my sister's 12, and I walked into the toilet, and my grand was lying on the floor next to the, the, the toilet. And I don't know what gave me a sense, I just felt for a pulse, and he was absolutely freezing. I tried to turn him around, and I couldn't move him. And I, since then, since that happened, it just, I couldn't open up. I, I still find it hard to open up to people still this day, but... Yeah. Uh, when that happened, it, it just the anger it was in me was unbelievable. I took all the anger out and everybody I loved, everybody around about, about me. Mm. It led to me being kicked out of school. Like Simon says, I ended up in care myself from care for the prison, man. It just escalated and escalated and escalated. I was in and out of prison like a yo-yo for, since I came to it. In fact, I was just saying to one of the boys that are there, that's me being out of prison like, for four years, and that's a big, big achievement for me, for me because yeah. I, I, nev I, I never managed to stay out of uh, prison for a full year, but it's only by God's grace I've managed to do it. Yeah. Um, you come to Victor Outreach and, and tell us what, when you give your life to the Lord and, and, and what, you, what you desire after the future. Yeah. When I came to Victor Outreach, uh, I thought I'd landed on another planet, to be honest with you. When I looked at everybody, I thought, whoa, what's going on here? What if I get myself into? Uh, it wasn't even like a church meeting or that. Like, I was in a house meeting with one of the staff members that was there at the time, and they brought a word, and I just felt as if it was directed so at they me. they brought a word, not a bird, did you say? A word. A, a word, oh, right. Yeah. I thought he said he, she brought a bird, then, then I got worried then. Uh, right, you brought a word, right? Okay, Chris, I just on. felt as if it was directed at me, and right after the meeting, I hadn't cried for years because I had hardened my heart that much, man. I hadn't cried in years and years. 
And after that meeting, I went upstairs and it, I just broke down in tears, man. And I just knew I had to give my life to the Lord. And the things he's done for me, <laughs> he's helped me deal with issues. That yeah. I went to drug counsellors, I went to bereavement counsellors. I've I done everything and nothing was be able to help me. But God, since I've asked Jesus into my life, he's helped us to deal with my anger. I'm far from perfect. I'm at close to it, but I mean, I'm getting scared. <laughs> uh, no. You've, been, you've been working on that line for a long time, haven't you? No, no, no. <laughs> no. Uh, God's just been done an amazing work in my life, man. I've been, this is my second time being in Victor Outreach. My first time, I took a lot of things for granted. I did, and that's me being honest. I took a lot of things for granted. And I went back up to Scotland, and I messed up again, basically, but... I'm just so thankful that Victor Outreach has opened the doors for us to come back. And I know, and I'm, some people don't learn from their mis mistakes, but I'm, I've learned from my mistakes. And yeah. I'm not going to take things God gives me for granted, you know what I mean? I just thank to God that he's a forgiving God and he's welcomed him back to open arms, man, because the mess I got myself self in the air was unbelievable. I'm still struggling to forgive myself enough for some of the things I've done when I went back to Scotland, but I know God forgives us, but it's just within myself. Yeah. I really am still struggling to stay to forgive myself for some of the things I've done. Yeah. But I don't even know. what I, I get nervous when I come up and do this. I honestly don't know what else to say to you. That, well, I think you've said it. That's me. What, what? That's just great, mate. <laughs> That's great. I love working with these guys and the girls, you know, for, for one very simple reason. Um, they're, they're, they're not, these aren't trained, well-skilled, schooled, educated guys who can articulate their testimonies perfectly. They're just raw from the heart. I've messed up. I was broken. I was just smackhead and, and Jesus just loves me. And, and I'm just thankful that God gives people a second chance. You know, maybe you've come into this meeting tonight and and you know, you failed. You've, you've let God down in your mind and to you there's no way back. There's always a way back. He's the God of the second chance and of the third chance and of the fourth chance and of the fifth chance <laughs> and so on and so on. Amen. Would you risk an amen? Okay, we're going to have one more story from Joel. Hand back to your pastor. Joel, Joel, give Joel a big welcome as he comes. Hi, how are you all doing tonight? Um, I'm not from Wales, <laughs> you might be able to tell. Um, my name is Joel, I'm 40. I was born in London, and, uh, but I moved to America when I was like nine. Um, my life's, I don't know, I just uh, seemed like I started out as a bad kid and just got worse. I was uh, drunk and on drugs. By the time I was like knee high to a grasshopper, I just don't really remember ever being good, like as a kid, you know? And... Uh, that led to me just going to prison. By the time I was 14, I was in prison. And I kept going back and kept going back. And early 20s, I spent in San Quentin. Um, stop there. Now, I don't know if you know. I, I have to interrupt him here because this story is, is more powerful than he, he goes on about. San Quentin is a high-security maximum prison in America. It is a very, very well-known prison. Um, and uh, anyone who spent any time in there, I mean, I visited it. I know what it's like. 
And this guy was doing time in there with some of the biggest gangsters and murderers you can imagine in San Quentin. Just Google it, you'll see for yourself. And you were in there, Joel, and, uh, for a number of crimes you were doing. Just tell us about your lifestyle during that time, what was going on. You know, I, I, just, I just grew up not caring about anybody. I just cared about Joel. Whatever Joel wanted to do, that's what he did. And uh, didn't care who I hurt or what I did to who. Never believed in God. I always thought if there's a God, that why does he let people like me do what I do to people? You know, I just, I was, <laughs> I was just terrible. And uh, somewhere along the line, uh, some some girl was dumb enough to marry me, and I had a couple of kids, and that was the first time in my life I ever loved anybody. And uh, never stopped me from doing what I did, though. Kept going back, prison after prison after prison. Went to I think six different state prisons in California, did about 13 and a half years, and America finally got fed up, and they had enough, and they uh, decided to kick the English kid out for life, so I got deported two years ago from America for life, away from my two kids, and uh, got dropped off, and escorted by two U.S. Marshals, and dropped off in London, and just kind of decided to give up and just drink myself to death. I was doing a pretty good job of it, too, and uh, I, I was... Just when it's about a year ago now, I was on death's doorstep. I'd been in and out of hospital. I was just on my way out, and I, I was a mess. And somewhere along the line, God just kept chipping away and chipping away and chipping away. And and uh, don't know how, don't know why, but uh, he got to me enough, and, and, and I ended up at Victory Outreach, and I was a mess, boy. I couldn't, couldn't dress myself, feed myself. Shave myself. These guys, Simon was there when I got here. They they had to do everything for me. I mean, I was rough, and uh, but you know, I just I just decided when I got here, and, and the Lord came into my life, and I just I just got on my knees and just totally surrendered to Jesus, and and uh, stopped trying to do things Joel's way, and said, you know, it, it ain't been going very good for forty years, but uh. Let's give it a shot your way. And once Joel got out of the way and just let him work, he's just been doing incredible things in my life. You know, a year and a half ago, you couldn't get me into a church. Go to VO, and they got me building the church. Um, got me going into prisons to talk about church. And, you know, I went to a woman's prison. That was all right. I would have stayed there for a few days, actually. But, but, uh, but uh, no, you know, it's just... The, the ride's been crazy, and now, now I get to work with the guys. Uh, Joel's, on, Joel's on staff now with us. And, Pastor uh, Richard. Uh, if I can just say, cause I, I, just the gravity of this, this whole situation. When Joel first came to us, uh, I often, he knows I tell his story wherever I go. When he walked into the offices, uh, my, my thought was, he ain't going to stay. Straight away, he, he's not going to last. Because the state that he was in... Uh, some of you will be familiar with in areas that you live in community, especially uh, in some of the parks and areas. There are certain people who were tramps who have been there for years. You know, the same one. We had one in Clatley called John. And John was always on the same park bench uh, in, in the town centre of Clatley. And beard, dirty, stinking, smelling of urine. He was there every week. He was just a tramp. Don't mean to embarrass this guy. That's what this guy looked like. Uh, we got photographs of him. It's a shame we didn't bring him tonight. You wouldn't recognise him. 
he, he, couldn't, he couldn't carry a cup. One of his first accomplishments was, I remember him saying to me, the fact that he managed to bring me a cup of coffee without spilling anything. He was so chuffed. I, I mean, how amazing is that? Just small things that we take for granted. You know, although the coffee that was brought to me in there tonight was disgusting. Um, <laughs> but, John... You're on, you're on staff now and you're serving and you're working with the guys and, and uh, I'll share a little bit later about the church plant and you've helped us build the church as well that we're worshipping in now in a wonderful uh, venue that you guys have helped to build. What, what's, your, what's your desire and your, your kind of, what are you believing God for the future for? You know, uh, just the things he's done for me so far, just, just incredible and, and just being a part of this ministry that we're we're doing incredible things and and the biggest joy for me is just getting to work with these guys and i you know you know sometimes we do like uh bible studies and stuff and who am i it's kind of crazy when you think about it here i am teaching these guys stuff out of the bible and i just learned it two minutes ago you know but <laughs> i make it up as i go along sometimes i think but <laughs> well uh, but, uh <laughs> pastors are the same we make it up as we go along mate to be honest with you <laughs> But you know, sometimes you're not supposed I, to tell our secrets. You're supposed to keep it quiet. I'm still learning, see. But uh, you know, sometimes I, I have a hard time just trying to put into words to to, to these new lads, like, and, and try to get it. But but sometimes I just see that spark in the eye, like like I look at you guys, and you got it. I don't have to explain it, and and just seeing that that light shine in their eyes, and when they come around, and and oh man, it's just the most incredible thing. I'm so privileged and honored to be a part of that, and it's just. Uh, wherever I go from here, I'm just going all for the glory of God. Amen. That's wonderful. Know, Thank you, Joel. Just as it comes up, just want to mention. Um, God bless you all. Good night. He always does that. It's the American. God bless you all. You know what you like? Presidential. Sit down. <laughs> does it all the time. Every church. God bless you all. It's not the elections, fella. We ain't running for president. Um, and Alan, would you stand? Alan is one of our youngest uh, staff members. Um, uh, Alan is managing the home in life. So if you want to know more about uh, the home there, you want to go and pay a visit. And uh, uh, by the way, single ladies not allowed. Okay, unless you've got millions in the bank. Alan is um, the manager of the home there. Uh, along with Joel, who's a staff member there as well. And uh, we've got two homes next to each other. And, uh, of course, I'll tell you a little bit more about our work because we've got five homes, four in South Wales, one in Lye. And as I've said to your pastor today, I'd love the opportunity to plug our home really into the church here so we, we can see some of these guys worship here on a Sunday morning. We do go to other churches because they give us support, so we have to do that. But I'd like them to get plugged in here because I love and trust your pastor. And uh, as the home grows, th- th- so they will be part of your congregation. And, and for some of them to relocate here as well, um, for them to find jobs and to move on. Because I don't want to keep them in a home for the rest of their lives. They need to move on and get back into Christian community. Thank you so much. Uh, everything we do, we do it for Jesus. E- everything... Um, I don't get paid by, by victory. I, I raise my own salary, so I don't take a wage. So I can say to the staff, you know, I have to. So every time I travel and speak, not like now, uh, but when I go and sell books and things, I raise my own salary that goes into Victory Ocean. I get paid from raising it myself. So, um, you know, we do it because we love Jesus. We don't do it. It's not a career move. And uh, for the guys, being a pastor is certainly not a career move, I can assure you. And uh, so, and the homes as well, we, we, we literally, the whole of our support is non-government funded. We don't get anything from the government. 
because we're a faith-based organization. If, and if there ever is a time that faith and Christianity is under attack, it's right now. Even this week with adoption, you've heard on the news how a Christian couple is not able to adopt because of their Christian beliefs. And so we're faced with the same thing. Although we had Ian Duncan Smith come and see us a couple of months ago, came to see one of our homes, and it was great to hear all the guys telling him their testimonies. It was brilliant. I said to them, I said to all the guys, I said, no, listen, no, when you talk to him, tell him how, how the organization has helped you and how the structured program has been very helpful in your recovery. <laughs> well, what it was, she and Jesus has changed me like. <laughs> Holy Ghost, I'm speaking in tongues and everything. And I could see Ian like this. Just, just, just a wonderful, wonderful. And the Secretary of State of Wales was there as well, Gillian. So just a wonderful, wonderful situation. But he's uh, given us an invite down to number 10, so I'm going to get to meet the Prime Minister. Get in there! Anyway, so... <laughs> and uh, so that's just fantastic. But uh, so, so we, we, we thank God for churches because, you know, we can do things that churches don't. You know, we, we can really be on the cutting edge and, and in, in a different kind of a way. We're not better than any church. We're, we're part of the church. But we're part of the body and we might just be the arm that reaches out. But we need the rest of the body to help us to do what we do. Thank you, Mark. And the worship team, wonderful. A great job tonight. Well done. It's nice to know you've moved on from the key of G. <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. I tell you, I tell you, what, you, you, you come on, fella. You're doing all right. <laughs> It's great. Um, my name is Richard Taylor, as already mentioned, and um, uh, the journey that I've been on is similar to the guys you've heard tonight. I was a, a drug addict, uh, 13 years of age, started taking drugs. Dad left home, was a drinker. Mother was uh, into drugs and dealing, and so I ended up uh, in drugs myself. Ended up in prison at 15. Um, had a tremendous conversion to Christ. Um, quite an interesting story, really. If some of you might have already heard it, but it's worth repeating again because maybe there's people who have never heard my story the first time. I was in Swansea Prison looking at a two and a half year stretch for a list of 30 convictions and uh, I, I had my tobacco and my ganja, my weed. I was big into the reggae scene. I was into Bob Marley. I was into Rastafarianism. Eli Selassie was the Messiah. I even tried growing dreadlocks. I mean, look at me. I'm white and I'm from Wales. <laughs> and I, I even had the whole part with saying, Wagwan, I, re- I even walked like a Rasta. Do you know what I mean? I was like... Lord have mercy. I had it all. I was just, for the brothers here and the sisters, you know what I'm talking about, right? Wagwan and all that. I and all that. So anyway, the white folk are like, what's he saying? Yeah, never mind. Never mind. And uh, so I was into all that and uh, I had my ganja and I was in my cell, running up to tobacco paper. Sister, you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? Huh? Huh? Exactly what you see in an operator. Lord have mercy. And, uh, right. So anyway, I was in my cell and uh, run out of run out of tobacco papers. And uh, there was a Gideon's Bible in my cell. Uh, any any Gideon's any Gideon's here tonight? Well, stereotypical. If you've ever seen a Gideon, this is a stereotype. Now, not for all of them. Tweed jacket. Okay. Normally a green shirt, paisley tie, and those itchy trousers called Farah from M&S that create electricity when they walk. <laughs> that, that's, that's what a Gideon, and they've normally got a goatee. Uh, your, your pastor's nearly there, isn't he? You know what I'm saying? He's, he's on his way, isn't he? He's on his way. 
Oh. And, uh, and I had this Gideon's Bible. Now, I, I was never been religious, right? I've never been brought up in a church. So all, you know, like some of you might be here for the first time tonight, you're thinking, what is it? I was just like that, man. It, it, it just, I'd never been to church. I burgled a church, but I'd never been to church. It was a church at the end of our street. Me and my brother burgled. He was on the organ, messing about, singing that wonderful, because everybody knows hymns in Wales. You know, because of the rugby, we, you know, the hymn we sing, bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. That one, my brother's on the organ and he's playing away, feed me till I want no more. Like this is no one, it's empty, we've just burgled it. And um, of course, in, in Wales now, of course, the rugby's that bad, we've changed the hymn now to, I need thee, oh, I need thee, every hour I need thee. Anyway, so my brother's on the organ and I stood up behind a thing called a pulpit, but this pulpit was huge. I mean, it was like something of Noah's Ark. It was a big wooden thing. You know, the, the one you needed ladders to climb up that, that somebody made and it didn't move it because otherwise God will strike you down dead. It was one of those things. And uh, yeah, that resonated with some of you. Mm, yeah. So I'm, I, I'm up to this pulpit and um, I'm pretending to preach. Now, the only preacher I'd seen is a guy in Clenetley Town Centre called Die Flap. Die Flap... He was outside boots every Saturday, come snow, hail, sun. He was there, street preacher, with a board on him. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand, therefore repent. He had one of those flat hats on, you know, the, the tweed type things, flat caps. And he, he had a habit of doing this with his hat when he was preaching. And when he used to preach, he used to spit the lot. But this is what he used to do, and this is exactly how he sounded. No one ever became a Christian because of die flap. But Die Flap used to stand there week after week and go, repent. And occasionally he'll do that. Repent. And he used to spit a lot and people would walk and they'd walk literally around him and avoid him. Otherwise you could get a car washed straight through him, you know, just a drive through with his spit. So I'm in this pulpit like this now. My brother's on the organ. Feed me till I want no more. And I'm like this. Repent. Nobody in the building. You've got to get the scene. You can imagine God looking down from heaven, can you? Looking at the scene. Jesus, bring me a latte. You've got to see this because this is. This, this extra shot. Come and see this. And you know, you know. There I was, a young man then, not realizing that I'm behind one of these now every week of my life. So I've never been to church, and I'm in my cell, and I open up the Bible to John chapter 3, and I tear it out, and I put my tobacco in, put my weed in, and I licked it, because I, I didn't have any paper, I used the Bible, and it stuck together brilliantly. See, it was the authorized version. It didn't, <laughs> didn't fall apart or anything. Perfect binding. And I smoketh it. And as I was, um, <laughs> I mean, I've smoked John 3.16, ladies and gentlemen. Some of you might have read it. I've smoked it, literally. I mean, thy word have I hid in my lungs that I might not sin against thee. So I'm smoking the Bible like I am myself, listening to Bob on the, on the stereo. We had tapes in them days. Remember the tapes? Whatever happened to the tapes? They were great fun. You used to pull all the stuff out, time around lampposts. It was brilliant. Can't do that with CDs anymore. You've got to throw them like a ninja. Anyway, so I was at this. So I'm smoking the Bible pages. And I fell asleep with the Bible on my chest. I'm flat out. I got no woman, no cry on the radio. You know, the, no woman, no cry. You know that one, yeah? 
you get really down with that. And anyway, I was gone. I was like, I was comatized. I was gone. And I woke up an hour later. I, want, I had munchies, but I wanted to roll another one. I just want to roll another joint. So I opened up the Bible again, the Gideon's Bible, the John chapter 1. I'm about to tear it out. And as I do, I read the first words on the page of the Bible. Never read the Bible before in my life. Never wanted to. So the only Christians I ever saw were very miserable people. They went into church sad and they came out looking suicidal. <laughs> and I thought, I ain't joining that club. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm about to tell, I start reading. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the same was with God in the beginning. And I was so captivated by what I read. It, it kind of pulled me into the pages. I couldn't stop reading. I, I, I just read. I devoured it. I read chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 4, chapter 5. <laughs> cha- <laughs> cha- <laughs> it's a guy like that. Yeah, I don't know. That. I smoked chapter 3, man. Right to the end. It's a bad Bible. Right to the end of John's Gospel. And I tell you this, I was so moved about what I read. This is what I read. Here's the synopsis. This is, this is the narrative given to you of what I understood when I read. Non-religious, like maybe some of you in this meeting tonight, know nothing about the Bible. This is it, right? Here's this guy called Jesus. Okay? Historically, real figure. Not just in the Bible, but many historians and certain uh, ancient writings speak of him, right? The Maccabeans wrote about him. All kinds of different people during the era of Jesus wrote about this man called Jesus. Josephus, as you know, Jewish historian, wrote about him. He's on earth. He's, he goes about doing good things. He's born to a working class family. He's not born into wealth and riches. In fact, his birth is quite controversial. Very controversial. And he ends up living his life with his mum and dad who uh, certain instances in in his childhood you don't read too much about but as he gets older he embarks upon this ministry of helping listen to this helping poor people now I can identify with this story because I was a poor person poor in spirit poor economically poor socially I was poor so I so there's this man called Jesus doing the very opposite of what I was I was doing crime and I was I was leaving victims in my wake. This man was trying to help people, raising people's standard of living, bringing a social message as well as a spiritual one. He fed hungry people. He put clothes on people's back. He wanted to bless people. He, he raised loved ones from the dead to give them back to their families. He went about doing all these wonderful, good things, healing all who were sick and oppressed. He did all these wonderful things, and there were a bunch of religious church folk who wanted him murdered now as a unlearned unreligious man in my mind reading this synopsis and this narrative this triggered a question in my mind why did they want to kill this man I didn't understand it because it doesn't make any sense why kill a good man kill a bad man in fact a bad man and a good man were stood together Jesus was was brought before Pilate and another man called Barabbas. Barabbas was a known criminal of his day. And the crowds had to make the decision because Pilate didn't want to make the decision because he didn't understand why Jesus was brought to him by his own people. It was Jewish people that brought Jesus to him to be crucified. They wanted him dead. And so the crowd cried out, 
Let Bar- Bar- whatever his name is in Welsh, Barabbas. Let him go. And of course they did, and Jesus was crucified. So I went then, after reading this story, right? So I read this story. I go straight to the chaplain, Ted Hunt, Anglican vicar, tall, very large nose. Mine takes some beating, but that was big, large nose. And he was fond of whiskey, and you knew when he'd been drinking it, because his nose used to glow red. It was hilarious. He'd get drunk off his breath. And, and, and he came to my cell, and I said, Ted, I want to know why they killed this man called Jesus. What did they kill him for? And he looked at me over his glasses. There was somewhere on his nose. And he looked at me and he says, They didn't kill Jesus. Your sin did. Now you have to understand, I'd never heard this before. Maybe some of you have thought, My sin killed Jesus. Hang on. He died 2,000 years ago. I wasn't even there. Didn't make any sense to me. You know, to the brain, you thinking, What do you want about? My sin killed Jesus. So here I'm in my cell thinking, my sin murdered Jesus. This is going in my head. I can't get out of my head. You see, once you've heard this message, no matter who you are tonight, this message will never leave you. It will, it will, it will be etched in your memory and in your mind and these stories and you will never, even if you don't believe in God and you don't know about God, you will never get rid of what's been said tonight. It leaves a mark that cannot be erased. Oh, I love it. <laughs> we watched Gavin and Stacey. I can do a lovely impersonal brin for you. I tell you, these mobile phones and technology, Gwen, they're marvelous. You can laugh in time, love. You'll spoil the DVD otherwise. <laughs> Thanks. Got to sell these afterwards, man. <laughs> so, where was I in my story now? I'm in prison. So, this is the story. Ted Hunt, the chaplain, says to me, Richard, come and take part in the service. And I go, all right, no problem. I thought, I'll take part. So I go to the chaplain. Now, it's high church, okay? Swansea Prison then was high church. They had Mark John there, who's now the chaplain in Cardiff Prison. Who because he was a very close friend of mine now. Apart from the fact he's a man who supported, but we forgive him for that. And so Mark John said to me, uh, you know, take part in this service. I said, okay. So I go into this side room called a vestry. It's like that secret room in churches. You know, these churches you go to, and there's a room there, and you're not allowed in that room. Only holy people are allowed in that room. And it's got a thing on the door that says vestry. And you wonder what's in there. You know, vests or something? Vestry, I don't know. And I went in and all was there was broken chairs, wood everywhere. <laughs> Nothing holy about it at all. Ted Hunt, Ted Hunt put this white robe on me, right? Over my head like that. I look like a choir boy. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, you know, we're walking in the air. Ali Jones, soprano. Like that, right? I look like a choir boy. And um, choir boy. Like a choir boy. And I put the robe on. I don't care, not politically correct anyway. So I put this robe on and they give me a bowl of incense, right? And I had to put this incense in. And if you've never been to a, a Catholic service or a high church, a bowl of it, uh, incense, a bowl of, it's like a woman's handbag on fire. <laughs> Just to try and describe it to you, right? You got it? You got, you got up here now, woman's handbag on fire. Hey, what's happening, love? Right, die, tidy. So I got this bowl of incense, and, I'm, and my job was to swing it like this, walk in with a robe on. Well, not, not walk like that. That would have been a bit strange, really, wouldn't it? I had to walk in like this. 
I had the Ted Hunt in front of me. He was reading the Bible. I had a guy behind me called a verger. Now, I know he's called a verger, but I didn't hear properly. And I thought Ted was saying, behind you will be the virgin. Now, I'm thinking, Mary's dead. So, how is they going to... But now I know the story. It was a verger. And I kept thinking, I got a virgin behind me and a vicar in front of me. This is a strange predicament. And I'm a drug addict. I mean, I'm a drug addict. I've been smoking weed, listening to Bob Marley, praying to Elisha Lassie. Ten minutes before in my cell. Now I'm in a church service with a bowl of incense and a verger behind me. I think it's a virgin. I got a vicar in front of me who's drunk on whiskey. And we're taking the service. What chance has the church got? Chapel was packed. It was packed. It was full. All the heads with all the boys there because Taylor was taking part. So I walked in, I guess, and I'm doing the incense. I had to do the shape of the cross over the people. I had to do it over the altar, for those of you familiar with, uh, you know, high church. Hang it up and sit down. That's all I had to do. Simple task. I said, Ted, no problem. So I walked in, and I was like, all right, boys, what's happening? Swinging this. And drug addicts try anything for the first time. And I got a sniff of this incense. (laughs) And I thought to myself, I wondered if I can get ahead of this. Like I used to get off Tipex dinner or poppers or something. So I pulled the bowl up and the incense, like jelly stuff, is, and, you, and it's the stuff that comes off. It's quite powerful, actually, quite potent. I'll tell you how I found out in a minute. So I pulled the bowl up and I inhaled this stuff. In the, I mean, the organs going, you know, it's like death match coming. All in robes and crosses everywhere. And, and the people stand there. And, oh, and I'm walking in, I guess, and I... That noise went. It was a vein. It popped in my neck like I went on fire. I couldn't breathe. I'm like, ah, so Ted, virgin. Poof. Claps on the floor. I'm on the floor. I can't breathe. They bring the doctor over from the hospital wing to give me on my chest CPR, whatever it is they give you to get these things going. I'm on the hospital wing in Swansea Prison for three weeks with breathing problems, ladies and gentlemen. And you thought your first time in church was bad. That was my first, first encounter of church. This is tame. This is nothing compared to what I had to go through. You're having it easy tonight. I see. And then Ted answered me, there's a thing called Victory Outreach. And I've been on remand six months. He said, do you want to go there? I said, yeah, I go on it. Get out of prison. And I've been on six months. One, one bail chance left. Up in front of Tilly was born in Swansea Crown Court. Just so happens his daughter's house had been burgled the week before, which didn't look very good for me. It wasn't me, but, you know, not being up in front of him wasn't very good for what I was up for. Anyway, so he gave me bail, which was a miracle. I've got time. It's all in this book here. My story is detailed in this book here to catch a thief. It's been out a few years now, and at the back there. They're normally 75 pounds because we're in the black country. <laughs> because we're in the black country, there are fiver down here tonight. Um, so, <laughs> the three pounding wheels. And um, <laughs> truth is, I've got to give them away. Um, and um, I, I went to this, uh, and I went to court, and he bailed me to go to Victor Outreach. I went to the Bush Hotel, same place in Simon went, same place. I'm st- still own it today. I'm the landlord of it today. It's lovely. It's a lovely thought, really. When I say the landlord, it's just that we, we house guys in there now. So I went in, and like Simon, they were all in there, and they were singing. These guys, you know, I mean, it didn't sound very heavenly. The singing, to be honest with you, it weren't quite the Gaithers. You know what I'm saying? 
more like the monsters, right? Because, you know, because these guys, like, you know, come from all sorts of backgrounds, you know. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. It's like some sort of X factor, do you know what I mean? Really that bad. But, you see, it was from the heart. It's from here. They weren't perfect, but it was from here. And I stood in that meeting that night, August 11, 1993. 18 years of age, I'm 36 now. And I stood in that room. And all I can tell you is I had a revelation of Jesus Christ that night that changed my life. Everything I'd read about him in the Bible became real to me. I saw him on the cross when he spoke to me. As he was hanging on the cross, dying, bleeding in my place. He told me he loved me. You see, what you don't know is, growing up as a child, no one ever told me that they loved me. Ever. Grandparent, mother, father, nobody. Nobody told me they loved me. I'd never heard anybody say, Rich, I love you, ever in my life. And here this man was dying on a cross in front of me in his vision, revelation, telling me he loved me. What made it more powerful was he wasn't just telling me he loved me. He was showing me how much he loved me. I fell to my knees that night and I wept uncontrollably. Like some of the guys I hadn't cried since my dad left home when I was 10 because I was so hurt, blame myself. I wept my way to Christ. I said, Lord, I give you my life. And I want to tell you, there was no angels appearing, doing the river dance. <laughs> Jesus didn't appear in the room in a suit next to me. There was nothing. There was nothing. But I knew that I'd been born again. See, I was dead. I was alive, but I wasn't living. Do you know how I knew? Because all of a sudden, I felt clean. I'd never felt clean before filthy, stinking, impure, dirty person that I was. All of a sudden, this dirty man felt clean. One of the greatest messages of the gospel, you can feel clean. Nobody can give you that feeling except Jesus. Clean in here and in here. Powerful. I got up and I thought, what? what's happened to me? What's happened to me? I, I didn't know what was going on. I went outside. The grass looked greener. Do you know what I'm saying? I hadn't seen it before. I got down on my knees. I was sniffing grass. <laughs> but this was a different kind of grass. <laughs> because I could smell the freshness on the grass that I'd never smelled before. I looked into the stars. I saw the stars. The following morning, the sky is as if God took that morning, took a paintbrush and painted a canvas and painted the sky blue. And as I gazed in the sky, I could see, and I could hear birds. Do you know I'd never heard birds singing? Well, I had in a couple of karaoke's, but that was a different set of circumstances. <laughs> I hadn't heard birds singing since I was a child. I'd forgotten to hear the birds singing in the trees. Some of you are like that here tonight. Can't remember when. Just those small things. Because your life is so consumed with all the darkness and all the pain and all the despair. It's because of sin. It brings destruction, decay, deprivation to your life. But Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. I came out of that room, I tell you what, I've been living life abundantly. I'm telling you, I've not touched another drug since then. I've never been tempted. When I go back to my hometown, everyone thinks I'm on something. I don't know why. I said, I just get high with the most high now. I tell you, I, people say to me, what are you on? 
I'm on John 3.16. What are you on? <laughs> changed my life. It changed my life. And, 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 and I, I, my life just changed. I ended up, um, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, which was an amazing experience. I didn't even know what was happening. Started speaking in this funny language and I didn't know whether you were supposed to or not. I just started doing it. And then the pastor, I said to the, this vicar, I said, what, what is this? I'm speaking here now, look, in tongues. And he says, oh, you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, according to the book of Joel. I went, oh, wow. This is amazing. And I, and I couldn't stop reading the Bible. I read the Bible through cover to cover. And the stuff in between. Cover to cover. <laughs> Three times in one year. Just hungry, hungry, hungry. And every time I read the Bible, I had an encounter with God. I had an encounter with God. I had an encounter with God. God was changing me. God was, I was breaking. I'd never cried so much in one year in all my life. I was a mess. I mean, I was a mess. I a, sometimes I'd feel a cry coming out. I'd have to run somewhere to go and have a cry it's not very good really is it you know what I'm saying especially when you're on a plane sat next to somebody and you're not allowed to move when you feel a cry coming on I get it now grace comes all over me and I'm <laughs> Jesus hallelujah person soon moves from me I tell you they're gone and, uh, and I've not to just allow God now as a Christian see I'm not you know I'm not I'm level headed you know but sometimes the Holy Spirit does things, you know. So I get a bit excited sometimes. I mean, I remember being in Tesco's at the, the counter, you know. There's a big queue. You know what Tesco's like if you're shopping, ladies? And uh, that's not being sexist because this is the fact you love shopping more than men. Um, and so I got this trolley and I, I went because my wife, you know, I said, I'll go, love. Get all the wrong stuff as usual. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Twice the price. Yeah, I know. <laughs> all out of date by Thursday. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so I got the trolley not a man thing really is it so I go shopping and you know what when you get to the queue you look for the queue that you think you're going to get served first in have you ever been there you, you're looking on the queue thinking right is this, is this one over here come on now. come on man and you're in the queue and you get in there and the queue that seemed longer is going down faster because the woman you've got doesn't know what she's doing on that counter and she has to call would Barbara please report to aisle number four I need the price of some sugar and you're thinking why did I choose this aisle <laughs> And you're in this queue, and I was in one of these queues, you see, and, uh, and I felt anger come on me. I just, I'm a new Christian, and uh, I felt this anger come on me, because of the queue, it was getting too long, I thought, come on, man. And I just, I heard the Holy Spirit, don't, don't, don't be like that. The pastor of the church said, when you're in moments of difficulty and you feel angry, to worship. So I'm standing in the queue. <laughs> uh, I'm a new Christian, I don't know what, what I'm supposed to do. And I start singing. He touched me, he touched me, and all the joy that filled my soul, something happened and now I know, he touched me and made me, only in church, nuts, mad, oh, I don't know what you're doing at this lot with worship. You need to sort yourself out, fella. Anyway. So, and I opened my eyes. And there was no queue in front of me. Everybody had left the queue. I got served straight away. The woman on the counter was like this. 
And I had a smile from there to there. Try it next time you go shopping, ladies. And I tell you, I, all, I, I, listen, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. Make no apologies for it. And I am having the time of my life. I don't, listen, I don't know what Christians you've met. But if you've met the ones who tell you this life isn't the best, you, you've not met a real Christian. Jesus said, I've come to give you abundant life. Have I had hard times? Am I going through? Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I consider the sufferings this time present and not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us, that, that awaits us. I, I, this, this is not my home. You see, you will die. The death in this country is one in one. Two things are certain. Number one, you will die. Number two, taxes will always go up. Those two things are assert. They're assert. So, end of life. Now, here's the thing for me. I've read the last page in the book. I know where this thing wraps up. I know where it's going to go. I know where it's going to go. Right? And because I know where I'm going, because I've read that last page in the book, and I know the full end of the story, I, I, I don't go to bed at night and worry about tomorrow. I mean, I sleep sound. Because God is already taking care of my tomorrow. He's gone ahead. He's, gone, he's prepared it for me. He's already, he's already there. He's there tomorrow. Do you know what I'm saying? He prepared this meeting when I was sleeping last night. Already prepared it. Great thought, isn't it? Go on, Twitter it. <laughs> Those of you who want to follow me, to add to my 4,833 followers, although I lost a few when I quoted a couple of things. Never mind. About some theology. Never mind. Uh, so, so, so my life drastically changed okay so then uh, I, I left um, Victor Outreach I went to Bible school studied in Birmingham Bible Institute pastor church down the road you're Tipton Christian Centre Tipton in the black country Yamoro that's where I learned to speak alright cock and stuff like that someone called you a cock in Tlenthal you punch him in the face <laughs> up here you can get away with it it's disgraceful man and I'll never forget, I'll tell you the story of my church in Tipton. I love that church. I love the people. I still go and see like Sheila Millard and people on the Dudfields. Lovely family here in the Midlands and very precious to me. Very special people. They were just old people in the church. Just me and old people. And, you know, I turned up in my suit and thinking I was going to take the land for Jesus. And, you know, and, and, just, uh, and I just I, I preached terrible. I mean, I put Daniel in the boat. I had Noah in the lion's den. I mean, it was, it was, it was everywhere. Do you know what I'm saying? But these old people... These older people, these senior people, loved me. And they, they said, there's a young man on fire. He hasn't got a clue what he's on about, but we love him. <laughs> so it was just great. I just had a great time. And they did, they loved me. And the worship, you know, we didn't, have, we didn't have modern worship like this. You know, we had John Millard on the piano. He was with the Lord now. John Millard played a big upright wooden piano on wheels, on casters, on a wood stage. i never forget it. He used to hit, he was a big man. Oh, he, he was the best guy on the door. He'd give you a hug, he'd crush you. You need healing after the service, after the hug. <laughs> best welcome steward I have ever had. In, even in the church of me now, the best guy I've ever had. He'd give people big hugs no matter who they were. And he'd sit on that piano. And we used to do all the kind of real classics. My shackles are gone. My spirit is free. Oh, praise the Lord. All together now. He lifted me. Look at him, Mark. There's anything about him. And, you know, real, and, but John could only play one style, and it was honky-tonk. 
That's all he could play, right? But it was great. He used to hit the piano so hard, there were grooves, knuckle grooves in the wood. I exaggerate not. I wish I'd kept that piano just to, for these illustrative purposes. There were knuckle grooves where he used to hit the piano so hard. I mean, the guy was a big guy. And he used to hit it so hard, the piano used to move across the stage. And John would pull the stool and he'd move across the stage. He'd be like that. The time we'd start, I'd look at you. And by the time we finished the service, John would be over that side. It was great. John Millad. Our drummer was in a band called Nation of Hate. His name's Gordon Bailey. And he was a biker. And he came to our church, him and his wife. He had pins through his nose, long hair, leathers. He turned up in church, bike outside. And I, and I said to all the older ladies, I says, we've got a drummer this morning, ladies. And he walks in. I see today, now he's, he loves the Lord. And uh, he's in a church and he's serving Jesus. Married, got children, going on with God. Isn't that great? He's, uh, and he played those drums. He wasn't a Christian, you know. And I remember giving him the songs. I said, no, listen now. We're gonna, it's when Hill's song started to come in, you know. And I said, no, we're going to do some modern singing. Because this stuff is doing my nut in this honky tonk. <laughs> I didn't want to say to him, like, I thought, I go, so I've got some CDs or tapes as it was. And so I put uh, some, uh, some Hill, Hill songs. I remember the song, Beautiful Lord, Wonderful Savior. Beautiful Lord, Wonderful Savior, I know for sure. That song. So I said, play that one. Play that one, right. So I give it to John. I give it to him. And I was playing the guitar at the time, so I do play a little bit. And um, as long as it's GC and D, I'm all right. I can play any, I can play any Graham Kendrick song. So I got up. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Graham, if you're listening or watching, you never know. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm actually up there with the guitar, and I'm saying, right. Now, with that song, it's a flowing one. You got me? Beautiful Lord, wonderful Savior, I know for sure. All of my days are... It's nice, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a bit feminine, but it's nice. <laughs> There's too much campness in the church for my liking, to be honest with you. But don't get me starting on that now. Right? So, so we start singing, Beautiful Lord, Wonderful, it's another subject. Wonderful Savior. There's a book coming out on its own. And, uh, and as, I, as we're doing this, there is, I'm joking. <laughs> How camp is your church is going to be called? I'm in the middle of writing it. I am in the middle of writing it. I'm actually writing it. Because I'm, I'm convinced the reason why churches don't have men is because they're too camp. Anyway, just a thought. And... Um, there's me saying that with a daffodil on my jumper. <laughs> hey! Boom, boom. Anyway, right. <laughs> oh, you top. Anyway, so John is a, and I say, right, John. Now, I got him to count us in on the drums. Gordon, long hair, pinned to his nose. I want, I want, two, three, four. <laughs> and he's off. He is hitting those drums. I can't hear a thing. But not only is he hitting the drums, he's played in a band called Nation of Hate. We're trying to win the nation for Jesus here. He's hitting the drums, sticks are flying, he's catching them. <laughs> drums. John's doing honky-tonk, beautiful Lord. One, trying to keep up with God. Beautiful Lord, wonderful Savior. I know for sure. All of my days. And I'm on GCD. Beautiful Lord, sweating. You know as a worship team when it's going wrong, you're sweating. You're hot. You don't want to open your eyes because you know it's going so wrong. You don't want to look at the people. Everything was wrong about that church service, but people became Christians. You know why? Because it's got nothing to do with this. Nothing at all. In one year, our church that we planted, that these guys helped to build, in one year has grown from zero to over 500 people. Not in 10 years, in one year. And I'll tell you what we do. We sing three hymns 
Yes. I'm not saying you should do it, you. That's what we do. Our favorite hymn is, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. And wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous. See, proper songs. <laughs> now I'm in a land that has experienced the move of God, the Welsh revival. That was a proper revival. Not these ones that churches have where people roll on the floor and they say we're in revival. No, you're not. That's just nonsense. And Proper revival is when in six months 150,000 people become Christians. When pubs are closed down and prisons are empty and police are out of work. That is revival. That's not revival. Shake, rattle and roll is nothing new and it ain't revival. I've seen people shake, rattle and roll, following week, live like the devil. Ain't change one iota. I want authentic Christianity. Genuine transformation. When people have been changed by the grace of God and all they want to do is to serve him and to reach out to others that are lost. We want the, we want the real deal here. If I was dealt a bad bag, these guys know more about it, and I looked in and I thought, right, he's having it. I don't, want, I don't want what's false. I want what's real. I want the real deal. Anybody else want the real stuff? I don't want this fake, fake Christianity. I don't want it, guys. I really don't. Because it, it, it just... See, when you play sensationalism over the scriptural, you get into a lot of trouble. You've got to be very careful. Make sure you're grounded and rooted in the word, but your sails are up to catch the spirit. And make sure you're planted in sound doctrine. The whole of the New Testament, the apostles, always had this exhortation. Teach sound doctrine. Feed the flock of God, which I purchased with my own blood. Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep. Uh, and, and all we've done at, at Victory Church is uh, we, we have no evangelism. We have no Bible study. We have no prayer meetings. We haven't had one prayer meeting in a year. And the church has grown to 500. That's terrible. No prayer meetings. No Bible studies. We don't have any small groups. Now, I'm not, this is our journey, not yours, because you, this is just us just starting. Do you know what it, do you know what it is? I, I, I just think that God looks at a bunch of young men and women, actually, because uh, the thing for our church is passion for the Savior, love for Scripture, rescuing the sinner. That's it. We don't do anything else. That is it. It's just passionate people. You know, if you want to grow the church, passionate people. Passionate in everything. Just passionate. Passionate people do one of two things. They either get on your picking nerves, <laughs> don't they? They do, don't they? They get up your nose. Oh, she's calm. No, she's getting on my nerves, man. Oh, you're attracted. You want to, yes, come on, yes. I've got 80-year-old women in my church. Not many of them. We've got a few. And they sit on the left-hand side. She's got a stick. Come on, she's giving it some. She loves it. She loves it. She said to me, come into this church, she says. It's like I've been born again, again. She said, oh, you feel love. On fire for God. Church has grown very fast. But I, I want to close with, 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 with this. In four months, we've baptized 42 people. We've seen 76 decisions for Christ in four months. 72 have stayed with us out of the 76, and 42 have been baptized. I'm very particular about numbers. Uh, and people say, it's not about the numbers. Of course it is. The more people we get in heaven, the better, you clown. 
when people say that, it's probably because they're in a small, dying, declining church and they don't want to accept defeat and move on. <laughs> of course, God even wrote a book in the Bible called Numbers. Huh? Oh, that church down there, they're a big church, they're a mega church. Do you know, no one complains when a pub opens down the road, but when a church opens up, everybody's in arms. How dare they open a church up? Open a pub up, oh great, you can go down there Friday night, Mosh. That's Welsh, so mate. And one of the most amazing things, I me, mean, this is the hallmark of our church, and I'm going to close with this because uh, time is, I'm going to bring some thoughts together. There's a lady in our church who came two weeks ago on a Saturday night. We do a Saturday night and Sunday to get everybody in. And um, we preaching on Saturday night on faith. And then we teach on Sunday morning, uh, expository preaching and communion. And this girl is sat at the back in a wheelchair. Right at the back. And I'm preaching on faith and I close the service with a prayer. And I'll do this tonight. I say, if there's anybody here who wants to surrender their life to Christ, you can do it tonight. And just pray this prayer with me. And I prayed this prayer. Close your eyes. Pray this prayer. At the end of the service, I always go to the door in our church, walk down the aisle to the back of the door while the worship team do the last song. We take up the offering. I walk down and I make sure I'm there to shake everybody's hand. It's just, it's just me. It's just what I do. As I walk down, this girl is in tears. I've never seen her before. She's in a wheelchair. I kneel down beside her. I said, what's the matter, sweetheart? She said, well, I was okay. It's my first time here listening to you it all made sense but when you prayed that prayer I prayed it and something's happened to me I feel all warm on the inside and I'm scared I don't know what it is and she started crying I said just one second love. so I called one of our lady leaders Faye to come who's an ex-heroin crack you can't be in our church unless you've been on drugs so I said to Faye I said I said if you haven't been we'll just give you some of the door and come in and get saved so we're just Faye came and uh, and uh, took Caroline to the, to the side room that we've got there where we talk to, to people who need some more privacy and told her about the gospel, you know, went through it with her and she says, oh, that, you've been born again. So that was great. Sunday morning, she's there again. Same spot, same place. We're having communion. I finished preaching. I'm preaching on John's gospel, chapter five, the lame man taking up his bed. Jesus told him to walk in the pool of Bethesda. I look across like this and I say, we're going to come to communion now, remembering this particular story where Jesus... He's talking about having faith. You take up your bed and walk. Notice he didn't tell the man to leave his bed there. Take his bed with him. There's a reason for that. You need to study it. Anyway, so I looked across like this to Caroline. And uh, I said to her, uh, I'm doing the communion thing. And I stood here. Communion, call people forward for communion. In our church, we don't go around with the communion things. We have a table and we do it every week. And people come forward to receive communion. After I've preached, so then they can apply the word. The idea is you've heard the word, now you need to respond. So we don't do all the calls every week as such, but we do, if you know what I mean. So they come around the table and then they receive and then we, there's ministers stand and they pray for people. This girl got out of the wheelchair, walked down the aisle. Now, you know, our, our length of our church would be twice, twice this. So it's a long way to walk if you're in a wheelchair. She walked down the aisle. She walked to the communion table. She grabbed the wine, drank it, and then grabbed the bread. Wrong order, but you know, she's... There is no order, is there, if you know what I mean. So she did that. And I, 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 was, I was stunned. Because I thought, how she got up that chair? And then I thought, she doesn't really need the chair. She just does it for, you know, because she probably got a backache or something. So I go down to her and I say, how have you 
uh, walked you? Have you walked before? She says, no, my back, I've been paralyzed in three places. Now listen to this, right? So I'm stood there. As this happens, as she's walking, people in the congregation that have either had the communion or gone back are watching her walk and they start crying from the back. People, grown men, I'm not talking about, you know, talking about weeping because they've seen this, witnessed it with their own eyes. And as the congregation began to weep to see this vulnerable, broken girl in a wheelchair walk down the aisle, the presence of the Holy Spirit just <laughs> came in the meeting. It was like a blanket of grace over the congregation. And I tell you, nobody could come with any pride or arrogance then. I tell you, it was, it was, it was powerful. Powerful. And we spoke with her. And she said, yeah, I said, well, what, how have you? She says, well, la- last night you said to have faith. So I gave my life to Jesus last night and I'm having faith this morning. I said, aye, that's all right, aye. <laughs> now, notice what I did. I didn't put her on the platform and go, hallelujah, she's had a miracle. No, 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 no. Dangerous. You must be careful to make sure you authenticate testimonies. Otherwise, it doesn't bring credit to the name of Christ. So I said, well, that's amazing. She went back to her chair. So I got hold of Faye. I said, listen, you've got to go and see her in her house on Monday. She's not working. She's registered to save. I said, you go and see her. She's living with a partner. A young couple. They weren't old, young couple. So she goes on Monday. She, Faye phones me on the mobile. Pastor, you're not going to... Oh, I don't want to be the time. You're not going to believe this. I said, what's that? I just can't do her house. She told me she was lying in the bath and she started speaking in a funny language. So she got baptized in the Holy Ghost in the bath. <laughs> now watch this. In one weekend, she'd come to Christ. She'd been healed. And I, d- I wasn't too sure about it. You know, I was like, mm, I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, you know, it wasn't, I, I lack faith. It's just I like to be real. Okay. I have to check things out. And then, and then she's baptized in the Holy Spirit. The following Sunday, which was last Sunday, she got baptized. So in one week, that girl's life... She's come out of a wheelchair. She's been healed. She's been baptized in the Holy Spirit. She can't stop speaking in tongues. And she's been baptized. And her partner has come to Christ. They well, come back to Christ. He was a backslider. Came back to Christ. Two of them are living together. Said, Pastor, it's not right, is it, us living together? I went, no, I suppose not. I didn't preach to them. Didn't know. It says, uh, will you marry us? Without any thought, we haven't even registered the building. I don't even know if we can do it. We're in a warehouse. I went, yes, of course I'll marry you. Very precious lady here who lived in Dudley. It was her funeral. She's a, she was a midwife. Husband Lawrence was the treasurer in our church. I remember going to see her in the hospice. And um, got talking with her and she looked me in the eye, she says, Pastor, she says, I can't remember a single sermon you've preached. Oh, that's encouraging, love. <laughs> she said, but what I do remember is when I needed someone the most, you were there for me. That just hit me as a young preacher. I thought, that's being a pastor. That's being a Christian. Being there for somebody. Maybe you've never experienced genuine love in your life because you don't know Christ. I don't care what your background is, how bad you've been. Jesus really loves you and he has a plan for your life. You've heard the stories tonight. I, I can't, you, we, we, we couldn't even make it any more clear. This is it. This is how we get. This is as good as it gets. But it gets better than this.
can I ask you all to stand as Mark comes back to play the drums? <laughs> I know it's late. I know it's late. But listen, you pay for stuff like this on television. You've had a good laugh tonight, haven't we? We've had fun. It's been good, yeah? But there's been a serious message as well. You might say, well, preacher, you've not even mentioned the scriptures. Well, you've seen the scriptures. These are what the Bible describes as living epistles. For those of you who feel that's important, I respect that. And so, the scripture that's dear to me is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will never perish never perish but have everlasting life that everlasting life doesn't start when you die it starts now like now now maybe you've never experienced that in your life you can tonight some of you I, I, I don't know this con- I don't know this congregation don't know any of you but I'm just guessing some of you are here for the first time or maybe you've been brought by somebody because they thought I need to bring my friend I need to bring my family member my mother my sister my brother my mate my uncle my dad I need to bring because tonight I think if they hear this that they, they might get it whoever they are that brought you they're praying that you get it tonight they're praying for you to get it I, I just hope you do you don't leave this building the same way you come in but your life will change you will know forgiveness and not only that you will be clean on the inside oh what a feeling what a feeling every head bowed and every eye closed let's pray tonight when every head is bowed and every eye closed say preacher you know what I've never ever I've never repented of my sin ask Christ to come into my life to forgive me and to cleanse me will he do it for me tonight I've been so bad I've messed up my life so badly I've made wrong decisions made big mistakes God loves you and he will forgive you tonight all you have to do is pray this prayer in your heart. Pray this prayer in your heart with me now. Repeat it after me. Mean it with all of your heart. God will hear it and answer this prayer. Get ready. You're going to pray it in your heart. You know this is you. Your eyes are closed and you, you, just, you just know that you need to make this prayer tonight. Here we go. It goes like this. Get ready to pray it with me now. Dear God, I come to you as a sinner in need of forgiveness. Thank you for sending Jesus. Die on the cross for my sin cleanse me from all my sin I receive you now as my God and Savior this I pray in your precious name Amen well every head is bowed and every eye is closed if you prayed that prayer tonight I'm going to count to three and quickly when I do I want you to raise your hand when I see your hand I'll ask you to take it down raising your hand lets me know that in your heart while every head is bowed no one's looking around and eyes closed you're letting me know as the preacher here tonight only I'm looking across this congregation that you prayed that prayer tonight I want to know who you are so I can pray collectively for you get ready now to raise that hand you prayed that prayer here we go get ready one two Three, just raise it high, raise it high. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. God bless you, sir, at the back. God bless you there as well. God bless you there. Anybody else, quickly, come on. Others, are, God bless you, sweetheart, thank you. Anybody else, don't, don't put this off. Don't think, oh, mate, listen, it's not for me, I'm going to wait. Yeah, I see your hand there, sir, thank you, God bless you. I'm there, thank you in the middle, and at the back there in the middle. Thank you so much. Thank you, you may take your hands down. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, right now I pray for those who have raised their hands. However many it is, it's not about that amount. It's about these precious people that have heard the message tonight. 
and have realized that they've lived their lives without you and now as they come to you in faith Holy Spirit I pray that you regenerate their heart that you cause them to be born again of the Spirit that you bring about that cleansing that they would feel clean on the inside of their lives I pray this in the name which is above every other name the name of Jesus right now I declare over this congregation Lord, that from here, this will become a transformational church. That they would learn to embrace. They would learn to engage and discern. uh, And to embrace and to engage and to discern. To embrace, to engage and discern. And become a transformational church. Transforming people's lives through the gospel. Embracing them in this community so that they belong transforming this community and every town connected to this community in the name of Jesus Christ I pray hallelujah right now angels are rejoicing because people have given their hearts to Jesus church let's give Jesus some praise in the house tonight hallelujah we give you praise Jesus hallelujah I just want to mention this quickly then we're going to worship the close. Those of you who raised your hands, please come and speak to me. I'm going to be standing over there at the back. I want to give you a free copy of my, my story, my book. I'll even sign it for you. You can sell it for more on eBay then if I become famous. And, uh, and I'm going to be over there. Now, we've got, we got some information there. Look at the back over there. Everyone there, look. We've got some information there. You raised your hands. We don't just want it to be that emotional appeal thing tonight. We want you to be serious about the decision you've made tonight. And I pray next time I come back, you know, whenever it is, if Leon, uh, Pastor Leon has me back, if he can afford my fee, then, then I, I'm going to speak to some of you and say, you know that night you came, Rich? I, I was in that meeting and I responded. Do you know what? My, I tell you, that gets me every time I hear it. I love it. I love it. Free copies. But for the rest of you who didn't give your life to Jesus, you've got to pay for the book. All the donations go to the work of Victory Outreach. And I don't, I, am I okay to mention standing orders, Pastor? I want to check first. Um, if you want to support us, as little as £3 a month. Five pound a month. It's a cup of coffee in Starbucks, isn't it, really? Or if you like, I, I just I just buy a jar of Mellow Birds and pretend. And but um, we've got standing order forms there. Our team, the guys there as well, will be standing with our books at the back there somewhere. Listen, if you can just give three pound a month. It's, what's three pound a month? Is it fifty pence a week? I was never any good at maths. <laughs> never my strongest point, to be honest with you. Um, but. Please, 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 please support us. We desperately need it. These standing orders are probably more important to us than anything else. So I ain't going to beg you. That's it. Thank you so much. You've been a wonderful congregation. Have we got a song to finish on, Mark? Have we got a Tom Jones number or something like that? There, I was well to be loved by. Well, it is St. David's Day after all, isn't it? Huh? No, come on, Mark. Just lead us in worship as we go. God bless you.